Hey, there we go. First time in three years you actually did that right. How about it? Uh, how many of you are like, wait, I thought we got rid of that guy? It's okay, you can raise your hand and if you think that that's true, right? Well, hey, I would like to start out this morning with a super duper obvious statement, okay? Like, I'm going to say this and you're going to go, nothing has been stated that's more obvious than that. Uh, you take one look at me and you know I like bread, right? You're like, yeah, that, that tracks. This guy likes bread, right? So I've had like a 15-plus year journey, and it's been a roller coaster up and down, front and back, for, like on and off, right, with weight gain and weight loss. And it's like, yeah, okay, the, the carb is my number one enemy. Like this is, this is quite obvious. And I, I, think, I think this is one of the reasons why I'm so fascinated by this story that takes place in John chapter 6 in the Bible. Because it's a famous story at the very beginning, and then it's a less famous story at the end of the chapter, but do you know what's at the center of this entire exchange, this entire super-duper long chapter? It's like 60-something verses. Do you know what's at the center of it? Bread is right at the very center of this, center of this passage, and I want to dive in and explore it with you. So first, Jesus performs, this is the part of the story that you might know, and if you don't, it's okay, but Jesus performs this insane miracle with just a couple of loaves of bread. So let's dive in. First part of John chapter 6. It should be on the screen behind me. Now Jesus crossed over to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias. This huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick, right? So Jesus is starting to attract some people to himself with the signs that he's doing, and so far he's been healing people. That's pretty good, right? There's not, this isn't modern medicine. He's not giving people chi- children's Tylenol. He is miraculously healing them, and he's got a crowd because of it. But they ain't seen nothing yet, okay? So they're following him. Verse 3, then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw this huge crowd of people, we find out later, thousands of people coming to look for him and turning to Philip. So he's got his close friends, his close followers, there's a handful of them around, and he turns to, his, to Philip, and all of them see them coming, right? Like they're up on the hill, they've got the vantage point, they're looking down, and they're like, uh-oh, thousands of people are coming, and do you know what Jesus asks Philip? Hey, where can we go to buy bread to feed all these people? Right, when's the last time a teacher, maybe it happened yesterday, a professor called on you in class when you weren't expecting it, right? You, you sort of feel bad for Philip in this moment, right? He gets put on the spot with a tough question. And it's likely that Jesus chooses Philip because we know that he is from the nearby town of Bethsaida. So Philip's like from the region. So it's like when you're in a part of the country that you're unfamiliar with, but you're with your buddy and you turn to them and you go, hey, what are the best restaurants around here, right? Like that's sort of what Jesus is doing. Like, hey, you know where people sell bread, right? Where can we go to buy bread for these thousands of people that are coming to see me? But it's also sort of a test too because Jesus, Jesus already knows what he's going to do. And that's verse 6 and let's add in verse 7 as well. Now Jesus was testing Philip a little bit. He sort of saying, how much do you trust me? How much do you know that I can do, Philip? He was testing him, for Jesus already knew what he was about to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, even if we had about eight months of salary, three-fourths of the year of salary, we would not have enough money to feed them. 
I mean, this is an extra tough moment for Philip because the professor, the teacher, hasn't just called on him. They have given him an impossible question to answer. He's like, listen, we're, you know, we're nomadic. You, we're, you're our rabbi. We are following you around. We don't have a pillow to put our head on at night, right? We're kind of essentially homeless. We don't have very much money as it is, right? There's no way. Like, we could leave right now, work for eight months, and even then, if all of us did that, we would, not, we would have enough money to buy each and every single one of these people that's coming to us a crumb. Like, that's sort of what's going on here. Like, Jesus, what are you talking about? Plus, if we had the money, we could go to the store. Yeah, my, my, you know, my, my friend Roger, he runs the store right around the corner because I'm from this region, but they're not going to have enough bread stocked. It's like, Jesus, what are you getting at? And then I love what happens next. Andrew, one of the other, he comes forward with this answer, if you can call it that, right? Somehow a little kid, I don't know how the kid is around, I don't know how he hears the exchange, but this little boy realizes what's happening and has approached Andrew and has offered up his lunch. Y'all, it's thousands of people. The number that you might have in, head, in your head is 5,000, because that's what the text says, but what does it say? It says 5,000 men. Women, children, this is upwards of 15 or 20,000 people that are walking up the hill to find Jesus. And this little boy is like, hey, I bet Jesus can do something with this. And, and via Andrew, he, he offers up two fish and five loaves of bread. Think, right? Like Philip's the adult. He's the one that should know. And, and he doesn't see it. He doesn't see what Jesus can do. The little boy, I just, I love kids, right? Like this little kid, he just, it's like he knows, he's seen Jesus. It's like this guy can solve this problem with what I've got. Five loaves of bread and two fish. And wouldn't you know it, of course Jesus does something with this meager offering, but this beautiful offering of faith. Jesus has the crowd sit down and he prays. And he starts to break the bread. Just imagine it, right? Hey, everybody, everybody, take a seat. Right? Got to wait a minute for 20,000 people to sit down. And Jesus, like the scene, right? Jesus stands up. He can hold all of the bread in one hand. And he's like, dear God, thank you for this food that is going to feed everyone. He looks like a crazy person. And what happens? He says amen, God hears his prayer, he starts breaking bread, and he does not stop breaking bread. He does not stop breaking bread. He does not stop breaking bread until all 15 to 20,000 people have eaten as much as they want, and until there is 12 baskets left over. And Jesus is like, all right, we're good. <laughs> Pick up all the rest of the bread in, in baskets. You can gather it all. This is stunning. What happens here from Jesus? And right, for some of us, I'm betting you've heard this story, right? The feeding of the 5,000, oh sure, I've heard that one once or twice. Now, let me just be honest with you. If that's you, if you're like, yep, I've heard that story before, you're in a dangerous place. Because when you start to become familiar with Jesus and his ways, you're really, really close to starting to tune Jesus and his ways out. And the worst thing any of us can do for any reason at any time in our life, is tune out Jesus. So if you're familiar with this story, you're in danger of tuning it out. 
Now, if you're unfamiliar, maybe I know we've got some people in the room here today who are more skeptical. You know, you came to a Christian college, but you had no idea you were supposed to like go to chapel and take Bible classes, right? Or you just, you knew that, but you're like, I don't care. I want to play football, or I want to be in Tori's awesome show. Like, I don't care that I have to do these things, but I have no interest in them. Now, you might be sitting here, you're not, you didn't, you've never heard that story, or maybe you did a long time ago. You might be sitting here thinking, what, what is this guy talking about? Like, is he actually standing on stage telling me that there was a real live story that happened thousands of years ago where some other guy named Jesus fed 20,000 people with a Lunchable? Like, you might be sitting there thinking, do I, do I Paul, do, do I really think this happened in real life, just like you and I are sitting here today? And I'm here to tell you, I do. I believe this happened. Just as sure as you and I are sitting here today, I believe this happened. Now, that might be you, right? That might not be you. But if it did, don't you sort of want to get to know the guy who did that? Don't you? Like a little bit? Again, you may not believe it, but if it did happen, wouldn't it be worth getting to know this guy? And you know who knew that this was incredible? You know who was blown away by this? The people who were there. Do you ever, do you ever keep reading verses 14 and 15? When the people saw him do this miraculous sign, translate that, when the people were full because of how good lunch was, they exclaimed, surely he is the capital P prophet we have been expecting. They're waiting for someone. They've been waiting for someone for hundreds of years. I'm not exaggerating that. For hundreds of years, they've been waiting for someone. And they're like, it's him. He's here. He has arrived. We have been waiting. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king. I don't even know how that works. Like they just grab him and sit him down and like somebody's making a crown and they like stick it on his head. It's incredible. But that is the response of the crowd because of how miraculous and incredible this is. And I understand it too. Like I get why the crowd is like, hey, let's make this guy our king. Forget the, forget the primary polls. We don't even need to vote in the general election. No other candidates can submit themselves. We are making Jesus our king right here, right now. And even if we have to force him to do it, that's what's going to happen. But they've missed it. Jesus will be king. But not at this time and not in this way. So Jesus disappears he withdraws again, and the text tells us he, he was on a hill. He withdraws to a mountain. This is a place of strength for him, solitary rest and restoration and dedicated time with his heavenly Father. And I think here is where we stop this story. We're like, okay, that's kind of what happened, right? Like Jesus is with his disciples. Big crowd came. Little beautiful kid gave Jesus this five loaves of bread, and Jesus fed 20,000 people, and then they wanted to make him their king, and then he didn't want to do that, and so he went to the mountain, and we're done. But we have to keep going because there's more in this text, and I think there's more for us to learn. So we're going to keep walking along in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 25. Well, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on the far shore, because Jesus had sent his disciples back across the sea that was mentioned earlier in this chapter, but the crowd, you know, they're full. They're like, you know, when you eat too much and you need a nap after, right? Like, that's them. And so they're like still on that side of the shore, and they see the disciples had taken the only boat, but they realized that Jesus had not gone with them, right? So they're like, wait a second. Like, the disciples went there. We don't quite know where Jesus go. We, we knew, somebody's like, we, I know he, I didn't see him get in the boat, right? So they're trying to figure it out. 
Several boats from Tiberias launched near the place where the Lord had blessed the food and the people had eaten, blessed the bread. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into boats and they went across to Capernaum to look for him. They're trying to track him down. They found him on the other side of the lake and they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Like, it's like those awkward openers, right? Like, that's a terrible question. Like, oh, you know, like, just bumped into you here, right? It's like, no, they have been seeking to find him, okay? And, and to me, this is an even more understandable response than trying to make him king. Think with me about who this crowd was, okay? So before Jesus blesses the bread, before he feeds them, they're hot, they're tired, they're cranky, right? And they're probably really worried. They're there. They've got kids. How am I going to feed my kids? I don't know where to get food to feed my kids. Like, this is the situation. It's, it's like being at Disneyland in July, and you don't know where the restaurant is, right? Or you're in the line for the, the, for the ride, and you're really regretting it because you're really hungry and cranky and tired now, but you're also genuinely fearful that your kids are going to go hungry because you didn't plan well. Like, this is the crowd, and then what happens? Jesus feeds them. Jesus breaks bread and he feeds them and he just gives it to them. Like, y'all, I'm in a room full of college students. I do not have to convince you about how good free food is, right? Like, this is, this is the one thing that people know to be true about college students. Like, I hear so much crap about you guys that's untrue. And I'm like, actually, I spent a lot of time working with college students and they're not that way. But it is true that they love free food. <laughs> Like, right? Like, this is true about you. That should have gotten a huge amen, right? Okay, and, and with how much I like bread, this would have been all of us. Like, we would have gotten into the boats, and we would have tried to go find the free bread guy. Like, it's not, we're not finding Jesus. We're finding the free bread guy. Like, do you get it? Like, they're missing the point. They wanted to make him king. That didn't work. He ran away. It's like, well, fine. I guess if he won't be our king, maybe he'll give us lunch tomorrow, too. Like, this is you showing up at your host home. Like, hey, what do you, what do you got in the fridge? <laughs> that hit a little close to home. Okay? Like, you know, this is what's happening. Do you see yourself in the text? Do you see it? Do you see yourself in the story? This is what is going on here. It's like we're Oliver Twist, right? I had this, I pulled this picture, right? Like, please, sir, can we have some more? <laughs> right? Like, this is what's going on. And Jesus knows that this is what's happening. He knows that they have totally missed the point that he was trying to make. The point was not free lunch. The point was not free food. The point was not free bread. It was much deeper than that. This is what he says in verse 26. He basically is saying, you think you understand what's going on here, but you don't. You're missing it. I fed you yesterday, but you're hungry again. You just want more food. And guess what, y'all? This is what he says to them. Even if I did what you're asking today, you would be hungry again tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day because this is what happens with food. We eat breakfast in the morning and then we need to eat lunch in the middle of the day and then we need to eat dinner at night. And if you're a college student, you also eat about nine other times in the middle of all that, right? Because you eat and then you get hungry again. That's what happens with physical food and Jesus knows that that's true. I love the conversation that happens between the crowd and Jesus over the next few verses. It's like they're not even reading the same book, much less that they're on the same page. Let's, let's, let's look in here at what happens. Verse 27, but don't be so concerned, Jesus says, about perishable things like food. Instead, spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man, that's him, can give you. For God the Father has given me his seal of approval. They replied, 
hey, we want to perform God's works too. We're not all about free bread, Jesus. What should we do? You're kind of coming at us, Jesus. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent, implying, hey, I'm the one that he has sent. And I, this, is, this blows me away. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. Y'all, he fed 20,000 people 24 hours ago with five loaves of bread. And they're like, I don't know. I don't know that that was good enough. If you want us to believe that you are the one that God sent, then do a miraculous sign. And it's not like they forgot, right? They didn't forget. They're not idiots. Sometimes we think that about people who lived a long time ago. Well, we're so much smarter than them. They remember what happened. They just, what is it? They want him to do it again. They want him to do it again. It's like a dare. Well, you did it yesterday. Can you do it again today? And then they even have a specific way that they could do this, right? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Maybe you could give us manna. Could you do that, Jesus? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. Moses didn't do that. My father did. God did that. And now God, he, the father, offers you the true bread from heaven. And the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Bread that gives life to the world. They think so. Verse 34, sir, they said, give us that bread every day. Now again, the crowd is convinced that physical food is their greatest need. And Jesus does not ignore that need. It's beautiful, right? He sees that they're hungry. He has compassion upon them. He miraculously feeds them. It's beautiful, that, but, but Jesus' goal in this interaction, in these verses, is to try to prod them to a place where they recognize that they have a hunger that is deeper than their tummies rumbling. I mean, this is what's true. Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. Jesus knows your hunger better than you do. Jesus knows my hunger better than I do. And I, there's like, I say this and I bristle at it. Because when it's my hunger, I think I know it best. When it's your hunger, you think you know it best. You think I'm the expert in my hunger. I'm the expert in my needs, my wants, my desires. They're mine after all, so I'm the expert. You're not. I'm not. I mean, you know your wants, needs, desires, your hungers. You know them better than I do. And I know mine better than you do, but do you know who knows both of our hungers better than, than we do? Jesus. Jesus knows. Jesus knows your hunger and my hunger better than you do. Right? But the crowd isn't, they don't get this. They're not seeing this. And so often we don't see this in our own lives. Right? So, so because we don't see this, Jesus gave them a sign. That's what the feeding of the 15 or 20,000 people is. It's a sign. Y'all, what does a good sign do? It tells you where to go. It tells you where the thing you want is located. What are the people doing? They are stopping at the sign. They're obsessed with the sign. Um, on our way down here yesterday, I made a terrible choice and a great choice. I ate Taco Bell. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> it was awesome, and I really regretted it this morning. <laughs> <laughs> okay? Now, you know those blue highway signs? 
This, these, right? Okay. I really wanted Taco Bell. How insane of a person would I have been if I pulled over and started eating the sign? It might have actually been better for my stomach. <laughs> okay? But you see what I'm saying, right? You would be a crazy person if you wanted to eat at one of these restaurants, but instead of driving to where the sign points you, if you stopped at the sign and ate the sign, we would have to call mental health professionals. This is what the people are doing. They are stopping short at the sign. The feeding of the 15,000, the miraculous feeding of the 15,000, it was not the point. It was a sign that was supposed to point somewhere else. You tracking with me on this? This is what's happening. This is what's happening. And, right, then they bring up manna. And I've already mentioned that. That was the bread of the Old Testament. The people are wandering in the desert. And God the Father, miraculously, for 40 years, every morning when the people wake up, there's just this amazing bread that has come up from the ground like dew. And it was like famously in the Old Testament, it talks about how this, uh, this manna bread was sweet like honey, which is the, the, the pinnacle of something being good in this cultural moment in terms of food. It was sweet like honey. Now, this is hundreds of years earlier, right? So none of the people in John 6 that are with Jesus have ever tasted manna because this was hundreds, this is generations ago, but they grew up hearing about it, Right? It's like they're going to bed when they are kids, and they're like, hey, Daddy, tell me about the manna again. Like, tell me how when we were wandering in the desert because of our rebellion, God still took care of us by raining down bread from heaven so it came up like the dew of the earth, and tell me how it was sweet like honey. So these people grew up hearing about manna, and now this, this guy Jesus, just the day before, what did he do? He fed them barley loaves, which was the bread of the lower class. So they're like, hey, Jesus, you know, um, I know I didn't complain about the barley loaves yesterday. It was pretty good for yesterday, but it didn't taste sweet like honey. Can you give us some manna today? Can you give us some manna today? And they really set Jesus up, right? Because he says, well, I'm not going to do that. In fact, Moses didn't do that. God the Father did that. I'm not going to do that. But, but I will. I can give you the bread that gives life. And so in verse 34, they say, sir, give us this bread always. And they are teeing Jesus up. This is what he wants to say. This is the, the high point of the entire chapter. Because again, it's not actually the miracle that happens at the beginning. This is the pinnacle of the entire chapter, John 6, 35, where he looks at the crowd and he says, I am the bread of life. The sign yesterday, the miraculous feeding of the 15,000, that was a sign that points to me. If you want the bread that gives life, it's me. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus knows our hunger better than we do. And furthermore, only Jesus can satisfy you forever. Only Jesus can satisfy us forever. Only Jesus. This doesn't mean that your physical needs or wants or desires are not important, but at a deeper and, and more core and more heart and soul and spiritual level, only Jesus can satisfy you forever. And he knows it, and I want you all to know it too. That only Jesus can satisfy you forever. I mean, again, think back with me. What happens with food? 
We eat breakfast, we eat lunch, we eat dinner, right? Think about the, the best last meal you had. Like, it was incredible. Whatever it was, it didn't happen in the calf. I know that, <laughs> right? But think about the, the best last meal you had, wherever it was, your mom's kitchen, your grandma's kitchen, Chick-fil-A nuggets, I don't know, but the, the last best meal you had. And there was enough food for you to eat to your fill, you're not uncomfortably full, but you are full in the best possible way. Think about that and then think about, with me, seven hours after that meal. You were hungry again. No matter how good the food was, no matter how good the food was, no matter how good the meal was, no matter how much you ate, seven, eight, nine hours later, you were hungry again. When I was a kid, I had this horrible habit. Like, we're eating lunch. I have, I'm like taking bites, and in between bites, I'm saying to my mom, hey, mom, what's for dinner? Right, that, like, I did this when I was a kid. God bless Janice Brandis for raising me, right? It's like I've had this problem since I was a kid, okay? But this is what we do. No matter what we physically eat, we are always going to have to look for the next meal. And in a deeper sense, if you're looking anywhere other than Jesus for your ultimate satisfaction, it will leave you wanting. It is going to go away. I don't care what it is. It does not matter if you're looking... Elsewhere other than Jesus for your ultimate satisfaction, it will eventually leave you hungry again. It will eventually leave you hungry again. Whether it's sex, whether it's money, whether it's accomplishments, whether it's getting high, whatever it is, you might be satisfied. You, might, you probably will be satisfied. Those people, they ate to their full. But 24 hours later, they were on the road looking for the free bread guy because they were hungry again. And Jesus says, I knew this was going to happen. Don't miss the opportunity to learn that only I can satisfy you forever. Only I can satisfy you forever. And, and friends, here's the thing. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Do you know what else he says? He doesn't just say it and walk away. He doesn't just say it and drop the mic. I am the bread of life. Too bad, can't have me. Right? What does he do? Look at this verse again. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Sterling College, you have to hear me. The only, right? Jesus alone can satisfy you, and Jesus invites you to come and believe in him. Like, how terrible would it be if Jesus said this and then just slammed the door in their face? And sometimes we think that happens with Jesus, don't we? Like, we think we've messed up too much. We think we've made too many mistakes. We have hurt too many people. We have slept around too much. We haven't been following him well enough, right? Or we've done this, that, or the other. Or we have had this, that, or the other done to us. And you hear Jesus' invitation, and you're like, that's not for me. It is. He doesn't qualify it. Whoever believes in me will never hunger again. Whoever comes to me will never thirst again. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, what's true is that only Jesus can satisfy you forever, and Jesus invites you to come to him. So friends, where are you coming for satisfaction? Where are you coming to for satisfaction? Like, what are you walking to? What are you consuming? What are you drinking? In a spiritual sense, right? Like, what is ultimate for you? Where are you trying to find satisfaction? Jesus says, come to me. Where are you coming to to find your satisfaction? Where is it? Where is it? You know, one final image to kind of leave with you. My kids love the newest Grinch movie. 
Like, you know, this one, right? Like, this is so good with Benedict Cumberbatch. He voices the Grinch. If you haven't watched it, this is incredible. And I mean this. Like, you could watch it. You'd love it. Or you have nieces, nephews, whatever. This is a great movie. We watched this movie in July, right? Like, this is a Christmas movie. And we're like, actually, a couple weeks ago, we're like, let's throw on the Grinch, right? It's like, it's so good and it's so funny. And there's this moment in the Grinch, right? Early on, he's trying to avoid going down to Whoville because he hates, he hates Christmas. So he realizes that he's run out of food in his home. And he's going to have to go into Whoville to get more food to buy more, right? He says, no, this cannot be. I specifically bought enough to last me through Christmas and into January. And he asked the question, how much stress eating have I been doing? Cut to a montage that includes this image, <laughs> right? It's like, how much stress eating have I been doing? Y'all, I relate to this image way more than I'm comfortable to admit this morning. I'm Italian. I love some spaghetti, <laughs> like, but not, like, you get what I'm saying, right? I've admitted that I have a problem with bread and carbs and all of that. So yes, food is an actual thing that I struggle with here, but this image relates to me in a different way. Like this is what I do spiritually whenever I'm going anywhere that's not Jesus. He says you're just like shoving it into your mouth because you think it's going to work and it will not. Like I promise you the Grinch felt terrible after he did this. I promise you he did. And when you do it, it's just as bad. For yourself. When I do it, it's just as bad for myself, right? Right? Only Jesus can satisfy us forever. So where are you going to? Where are you coming to? Where are you seeking satisfaction that is not Jesus? Where is it? It ultimately will fail you, but Jesus won't. Because what does he say here? He says, I am the bread of life. Think about what happens to bread, right? It starts out, like flat and small, right? And it's got some yeast in it. And where does it go? It goes into the, goes into the oven. And, and when the bread goes into the oven, don't you think it, like try to picture yourself as the bread for a second. It, I bet bread feels like it's dying when it goes into the oven. Ah, it's too hot, <laughs> right? What does bread do in the oven when it has some good yeast in it? It rises. <laughs> Y'all. What did Jesus do for you? To fix your ultimate problem, which is sin, your rebellion against God and his ways, you should have gone into the oven for that. You should have died for that. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life, and I will go into the oven for you. (laughs) And he didn't stay there. It was death. And to bread, it feels like death. But just like bread, three days later, Jesus rose, and he walked out of that oven. He walked out of that grave clutching your freedom in his hand, clutching his, your satisfaction in his hand. If only you will come to him and believe in him. Only Jesus can satisfy you forever. Where are you going and coming to for that satisfaction? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for these students. It is a joy for me to look out among them and to see, Father, so many faces that I know and love and cherish. It's also exciting, Father, for me to look out among them and see so many that I don't know. And that's what happens on a college campus. There is fresh new life that comes every single year. And for every single person in this room right now, Lord, I pray for them. I pray for them, God. I pray that you would meet them where they're at, that you would heal their hurts, that you would bind up their wounds. I pray, Father, that you would watch over them. I pray that you would remind them that the only place that they can find true satisfaction is in you. And I pray, Father, that they would come to you. They would come to you and you alone for that satisfaction. In Jesus' name we pray, the true bread of life. Amen.